Hello and welcome to Haunted Hometowns, your weekly true crime paranormal podcast with me, Blake Lambert-Hack. This season, I'm covering cases in Edinburgh, Scotland, and tonight is all about the Wizard of Westbow, Major Thomas Weir. But before we get into that, we have some stuff to talk about. The Oscar nominations were just released, and I have some things to say, all right? So sit tight, listen up, take notes. Actually, I don't have a lot to say, but on the only Best Picture nominees that I've seen so far are Avatar 2, Everything Everywhere All at Once, which was great. And then I've started All Quiet on the Western Front. I'm about halfway through. It's fine, and I like that it's from a German perspective, but honestly, it's like any other war movie. Saving Private Ryan, 1917, which I think I like better, honestly. But yeah, I don't know. It's just very seen it, done it. Do we really need another war movie? It's well done. I'm going to finish it. Maybe I'll feel different once I get to the end or to the climax or something. But so far, it's real slow. And I like slow movies, but this one is hard to get through. I am very excited to watch the Banshees of Inishurn, I think is how you pronounce it, and Tar, of course. My mom says Women Talking is amazing, so I'll, I'll probably watch that sooner than later. But do you'll not catch me watching Elvis, sorry, or Top Gun. Won't be watching either of those two. Though Lady Gaga's Top Gun song is amazing, so I'll listen to that. Doja Cat's song in Elvis, great. I'll listen to that, not watching either of the movies. But that's not what we're here to talk about. I am here to say I am very disappointed with the lack of horror movie nominations. In general, the Academy doesn't nominate horror movies very often. I think Get Out was nominated if we count Silence of the Lambs, that was nominated. But generally speaking, horror movies are not given their flowers at the Academy Awards. Which, okay. But there are some horror movies that absolutely deserve recognition. And this year specifically, or 2022, had so many fantastic horror movies that it's it's truly a shame that Kiki Palmer in Nope didn't get nominated for Best Supporting Actress. She was fantastic. But more importantly, Mia Goth didn't get nominated for her work in Pearl, which might be my favorite movie of the year so far. Her performance from start to finish is impeccable. The moment I saw the movie, I thought she was going to be nominated. Like, it's insane. And then you have, like, Prey. Even though it's a prequel to Predator, and I don't really like the Predator movies, 
Prey is fantastic. The menu was great. And if you're listening and you didn't like the menu or you found it okay, it's because you've never worked in the restaurant industry. Trust. Bodies, bodies, bodies. Perfect combination of comedy and horror. And the acting was great. Obsessed. Scream 5 was great. Fresh was great. Barbarian. Smile. No exit. Bones and all. Orphan first kill. Hellraiser. Etc. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying all these movies are Oscar contenders. They're not. But they do deserve more recognition in the industry as a whole. And I do think Mia Goth was snubbed. And Kiki definitely had a shot at a nom for best supporting. So, look, I just need to get that off my chest. If you don't agree with me, keep it to yourself. But it's true. Okay? Now, we're going to get into Major Thomas Weir. We're taking it back to the year of 1670. Edinburgh was growing rapidly in size. At this point, the population Edinburgh was just under 50,000 in 1670. The Anglo-Scottish War had just ended. Scotland was absorbed into English Commonwealth, and Charles II was crowned king. The Royal Botanic Gardens were complete in 1670, growing mainly medicinal plants near Holyrood Palace, which was in the process of being rebuilt. During this time, as I've talked about in previous episodes, there was a great amount of religious unrest. England was pushing for Catholicism, while Scotland was more Presbyterian. And 1670 does hit just before the beginning of what historians call the killing times. Look that up if you're interested. But essentially, people who preached against the Catholic Church were arrested and tried executed. Uh, But at this point, it was just frowned upon for a very basic understanding of what was going on. I'm not a historian. These are just, you know, there's far, it's far more complicated than that. But just a little gist. One Sunday morning in 1670, Major Thomas Weir stood up to give a sermon in the neighborhood of West Bow. As he did, Almost every Sunday, he was 70 years old and a highly respected member of the community. Covenanters from all over the city flocked to see Thomas Weir preach. To the congregation, this was like any other Sunday. But little did they know, Thomas Weir was about to blow up his life and the life of his sister, Jean. So... Thomas Weir was born in 1599 in Edinburgh to a very powerful and influential family. We don't know much about his childhood, but he joined the military and had a rather successful career. He was part of the Solemn League and Covenant, which was an understanding between Scottish Covenanters and English Parliament. 
and in the same vein, he served for the Scottish anti-royalist army. So if you can't tell, he is not a fan of England and them forcing their religious or their religion on people. He didn't like it so much that he joined the military to fight them. So he really hated the English crown, the Pope, all of the above. He eventually moved up the ranks and became lieutenant for the Army of the Covenant under James Graham. He served during the Irish Rebellion of 1641. In 1650, he became a major and commander of the Edinburgh Town Guard. Thomas helped in the arrest of traitor James Graham, who switched from Covenanter to Royalist. And again, Thomas fucking hates England. So the fact that his boss essentially flips sides rather suddenly pissed. Thomas was so mad. He was so mad that when James was brought to Edinburgh for trial and execution, Thomas mocked and abused him while in prison. He was so mad he took his ass to the prison and stood outside the bars. Even though James was already tried and convicted and going to be executed, Thomas stood there and like berated him and abused him the entire time before he's before James was killed. And not only that, Thomas led the escort that carried James to his death. James was hanged, his head was removed and placed on the highest stone of the old toll booth just outside St. Giles Cathedral for 10 years. Now, I am no scientist. I am no doctor. I am no forensics expert. But I'm pretty sure a severed head being out in the elements for 10 years, it had to just be bone. Yeah? Disintegrates, right? Not disintegrates, but like decomposes. 10 years? The smell? When you're trying to go to church on a Sunday? I don't get it, but... I mean, that's how they tr- that's how they treated traitors back then, I guess. But yeah, his head was put outside the old toll booth. And the old toll booth was a place where people in charge met. Their chambers were there. There was a prison there. They collected tolls from people, taxes from people living in Edinburgh. It was just like a government building. And they placed his head on there for 10 years. His James's limbs were cut off and sent to four different towns nearby Edinburgh. And his torso was left hanging in the gallows. Disgusting. 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 In the middle of the night, James's niece hired men to cut out James's heart to be encased in a steel box made of James's own sword, then placed in a gold box, which had been given to her family from a doge of Venice. 
the heart and the golden box and a steel case and then a golden box these people were doing far too much it's giving snow white vibes like the queen the stepmother being like she will not be the fairest in the land kill her and bring me back her heart and that's when the huntsman hunts snow white down in the forest then he catches her and he's like oh i can't do this to her so i'm just gonna bring back a pig heart it's that except they literally cut out this man's heart from a torso hanging in the gallows it's wild and the golden box with the heart in it was kept in the family for so long until the french revolution i believe it's insane in 1661 James's limbs were brought back to Edinburgh and they were placed in a coffin with his head and torso and buried in an unmarked grave. Again, I'm pretty sure it would just be bones at this point. I it's I mean, I guess I, there's more to that story like why they decided to bury him instead of letting him rot in the middle of nowhere. But they fucking hated traitors. I mean, we all hate traitors, right? It's if you watch Selling Sunset, we hate traitors. Don't turn your back on your friends. But to do all that, that's, ugh, that's a lot. I can't, I still can't get over a decomposing head in the middle of the fucking city. Where everyone can see it for 10 years. Disgusting. Okay. Major Thomas Weir was a tall, stern-looking man who always walked around with a cane. Some say cane, some say staff, some say walking stick. I'm pretty sure it's all the same thing. But it was a black thorn wood made from black thorn wood. Now, I couldn't find if it was just thornwood, like the staff was black made of thornwood, or if it was black thorn and wood is just describing the black thorn. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know plants very well, but that's how it's described everywhere I read it. Black thornwood staff with heads of satyrs carved on top. Think Mr. Tumnus, his head carved on top of this staff. Thomas lived in West Bow, which is a neighborhood just south of Edinburgh Castle near Grassmarket. It, of course, looks different today than it did in the 1600s, but it was an area that was close to the nightlife. And even today, if you think back to previous episode, I talked about White Hart Inn, which is in Grass Market. There's still a lot of pubs in the area. So back then it was mainly royals, or I don't want to say royals, but like upper class people, the bougie, the rich. 
but it was also just a short walk away from the barbs pubs and like secret nightlife situation which we all know rich people love to partake in they like to be pious during the day and act you know naughty at night when no one's looking or when they think no one's looking but Again, most of Edinburgh's pious citizens lived in West Bow, so much so they were called Bowhead Saints. Right, so all these people were so uppity, God-fearing people, all about the church, and again, Presbyterian church. And Thomas was known as one of the purest and most practiced of the group. He would religiously, pun intended, attend meetings and give sermons in his house. And Thomas lived with his sister, Jean, though people around town called her Grizel. I don't know where that came from. I don't know if it's a nickname or if they were making fun of her or what the situation was, but... We don't know too much about her other than she was unmarried and may have had some mental health issues, but we're not quite sure. All I found anywhere is that she lived with Thomas and was a spinster, which is kind of, you know, spinsters were looked down upon back then. They were like, Oh, you're an old maid because you're unmarried and all you do is sit at home and like, so. But guess what? We all need clothing. Let people sew. Let people knit. I just got a great knitted blanket from my cousin. It kicks ass. It's a mermaid's tail. I'm obsessed with it. Y'all should be jealous. Because I'm sure they cost like $200 online. Learn how to sew. Learn how to knit. Crochet. Whatever you need to do. Thomas and Jean would host people over to their house to discuss religion. They would pray together. Thomas would preach. And this is how Thomas inspired many, even though he was like a very strict Presbyterian. We all, I, I'm not going to go into detail on how strict or what that meant, but we all know those very strict religious people, whether it be, you know, strict Catholics, strict Lutherans, strict religious people, strict Presbyterian, Thomas Weir. Now, the next part has slight differences depending on who you ask or what you read. Some say Thomas was struck with a strange illness in 1670. No one knows for sure what the illness was. But he didn't look great and was deteriorating quickly. He either attended a service or was hosting a service. And Thomas lifted his arms into the air and confessed something shocking. Others say he was on his deathbed from this strange illness and began to confess on his deathbed. I'm going to say it's probably likely it was a combination of all three. I believe he really was so sick he was likely to die. And because of that, at this church service, 
he got up to give a speech. I don't think it was a service he was attending, but or he was hosting, but a service he attended and decided to give a speech. And because it was something he did regularly, no one would have batted an eye at it. They would have probably gotten excited to hear a speech and a sermon from Major Thomas Weir. However, this time, instead of preaching about the Bible, Thomas Weir confessed his sins to the entire congregation. He stood in front of them with his arms outstretched, extremely pale, and admitted to incest with his sister, Jean, adultery with other women in town, bestiality, and necromancy, to name a few. Now, if someone like Thomas Weir stood in front of you and said that, and you looked around in a church, you know, I can definitely picture women fainting in the congregation, men covering their kids' ears, grandparents walking out, This was such an incredibly respected man and a respected man in the church. So this was just as bad as blasphemy, if not worse. I don't know what the equivalent today would be. Maybe your parents or grandparents telling you that they participated in incest, bestiality, the dark arts, and they cheated. Possibly that. He also stated that his staff was given to him by the devil. And it the staff is what gave Thomas all of his powers. And so to say all of this on a Sunday, the Lord's Day, in a church, the Lord's house, in front of all these uppity, pious people, I bet the room was ablaze. Especially because... Thomas Weir, he didn't just say these things flatly. You know, he's like, he wasn't, yeah, I had incest with my sister. Yeah, I participated in bestiality. Like, it wasn't any of that, right? He was ranting. He was spewing. He wouldn't stop talking. It was dramatic, baby. And of course, no one believed him. They were all in shock, and the town first thought was that he had gone mad, right? He looks sick, incredibly sick. He was raving all about his sins. People had to try to calm him down. They just couldn't believe that angelic Thomas Weir was saying all these horrific things and things that probably were never spoken about in general. It's not like, you know, your mom's sitting you down and explaining incest to you in the 1600s. I bet that doesn't really happen today. So imagine the 1600s. Because Thomas Weir wasn't looking great, the congregation decided to call the doctors to take a look at him. No matter what anyone had to say, Thomas was insistent that he performed all of these horrific acts. Doctors, of course, found him mentally disturbed, What does mentally disturbed mean? Who knows? I feel like it's a catch-all for doctors when they don't know what's wrong with their patient. And I mean especially before the advances of the medical field. But 
because Thomas Weir was such a well-respected person and came from a long lineage of respected people, town officials in Edinburgh got involved. They were initially reluctant to prosecute him because they thought he was mad. So they left him in the Tolbooth prison while they investigated. Tolbooth meaning Canagate Tolbooth, which is a different Tolbooth than the old Tol Tolbooth. And we'll I'll bring that up later. But so Thomas is in this Canagate Tolbooth prison on the ground floor. They at Canagate, the prison was for more like people who didn't pay their taxes, uh, people who, you know, swindled or like lighter crimes, whereas Old Tollbooth was more like murder, traitors, that kind of thing. So because Thomas Weir was so well respected, I'm pretty sure he was kept in Canongate, even though it's not really clear. And because Thomas implicated his sister, Jean, or Grizel, she was also arrested and questioned by the authorities. The questions were endless, and to their surprise, Jean corroborated her brother's claims, saying that, yes, she was sleeping with her brother. Yes, the staff did give him supernatural powers. And with her testimony, the authorities confiscated Thomas's staff. Jean also showed them a birthmark on her forehead. So she like did a little curtaining of her bangs and showed a birthmark on her forehead. And she said that it was the mark of the devil. Which I always think of RuPaul's Drag Race when Katya was walking down the runway and she has this like banged blonde wig and halfway down the runway she whips the bangs off to show a pentagram and then she opens her mouth and it's like bloody teeth iconic obsessed i love a wig reveal especially something so stupid and silly like stupid in a good way and silly as a bang reveal but that's what this is giving jean was like mark of the devil look at my forehead Uh, She said that her and Thomas learned everything they knew about witchcraft from their mother, who was also a witch. She said that they would travel the countryside in a fiery coach from the devil. Like the devil gifted them a fiery coach, I guess. They would go around to other towns spreading the word. I'm assuming the word of the devil. With Thomas and his sister, Jean, giving similar statements The authorities had no choice but to have a trial. However, instead of charging them with acts of witchcraft, they were charged with unnatural sexual practices. Unnatural sexual practices. They probably didn't charge them with witchcraft because they were viewed as very religious people and that would have been insane. And again, I will be having a witchcraft or a witch episode this season, so stay tuned. But a lot of witch nonsense going on in Edinburgh, just like everywhere else. But unnatural sexual practices. Of course, they were found guilty. It's the 1600s. They're not, you know... I'm sure they would find any kink today reasons to be 
hanged, you know? Oh, you like your toe sucked? Unnatural sexual practices. Hang them. The courts did everything they could, short of begging, to get Thomas to show remorse for his actions, but he refused to show any regret. While waiting for his execution date, Thomas was held in an old church that was once a leper colony in Greenside, Edinburgh. Very close to where the Edinburgh Playhouse stands, if you re- if you have listened to previous episodes. Also, the same area where jousting was held. Jousting ended about 60 years before 1670. And Mary Queen of Scots died about 80 years prior to 1670. Just so we have an understanding of a timeline. But anyway... Thomas was held in Greenside, then brought up the street on Leith Walk. He was strangled with a garret, which looks like a chair with a post on the back side of the chair that's taller than you. And they would tie your neck with rope or wire or chains, fishing wire, whatever they could really find. They would tie your neck back to this post. So Thomas was strangled with rope and then as he was strangling they burned him they set him ablaze but as they tied the rope around his neck they asked him to plead for forgiveness and and in return thomas said quote let me alone i will not i have lived as a beast and i must die as a beast unquote What an, it's a great quote. It's a great quote. I wish monologues could be that short for auditions because how iconic. Let me alone, I will not. I have lived as a beast and I must die as a beast. Beast, how dare you? To quote Real Housewives. And honestly, props to Thomas. Not that I agree with execution or anything that he did, but he knew he made his bed and now he has to lie in it. And so many people refuse to own up to their actions because of, you know, obviously because of consequences. But Thomas followed through and paid with his life. Maybe because he knew he was already dying, but as his body burned... They threw his staff in the fire because they're like, we can't trust this shit. If it's magic, we got to burn it. So they threw it in the, the staff in the fire. Eyewitnesses watched as the staff moved and twisted in mysterious ways. And they said not only did Thomas's body took too long to burn, but that staff took far too long to burn. Meaning they're like, that shit's magic. Jean faced the sim- the same death. However, when asked for her last words, she ripped off all of her clothing in an act of defiance. Again, props. She went out with a bang. I love that. Now, some places say that she tried to rip her clothes off and they were like, no, you can't do that. But other places were like, yeah, she ripped her clothes off, which is way more punk, way more rock and roll. If you're going out, go out loud, 
go out strong. It was a public execution. But with Thomas being such a beloved man and like a man of God, or so everyone thought, I don't know how many people would have wanted to see him and Jean die. Or maybe the opposite. Maybe everyone was like, we knew these people. They were liars. Let's see him burn. I don't know. I don't have uh, numbers on how many people attended the executions. Though, have you all seen that movie? I think it's called Population for Something. Yeah, Population 436. I, it's a great horror movie. It's very underrated. 2006. It's only an hour and a half. Basically, a census taker is sent to investigate this, like, tiny town in the middle of nowhere because for the last 100 years, the census, the residents of this population have stayed at 436 people. So the government's like, uh, can you go check this out and see if this is just a mistake or, like, what the situation is? And so the censor census taker shows up and I don't want to spoil it for people who are going to watch it, but there's a public execution and a lot of people show up and watch it, but it's interesting. I like it. But with that, let's take a very quick break, go grab a glass of water and I will be right back. Okay, as I mentioned before, no one really knows what made Thomas so ill. No one really knows if he was telling the truth, even. Jean admitted to incest, but that's the only corroboration. And with the idea that she may have possibly been mentally ill, can we take her word for it? I don't know. No one really knows. It's the 1600s. We don't have, there's not great record keeping, right? I think the most obvious answer is that Thomas was a 70-year-old man. And back in the 17th century, it was wild if you made it to that age. Maybe he developed dementia and some forms of dementia are hereditary. So maybe Jean was also feeling it. Maybe his mother that was called a witch was also feeling it. I don't know. On the flip side, or they may have had a different hereditary disease that was passed down. Who knows? On the flip side, it sounds like Thomas went from sane to insane kind of immediately out of the blue. And it wasn't like a slow burn, which I feel like a lot of types of dementia are, you can see them coming a little bit. My theory, though, is maybe he had syphilis. Let's say he did sleep around a lot. And maybe some of the women he slept with were married. But my bet is that most of them were probably sex workers. 
And this is not to say that sex workers always have sexually transmitted diseases. That is untrue and unfounded. I am just pointing out that back in the 17th century, medicine was not very far along. And even though they knew of a disease, the disease that we know as syphilis now doesn't mean that they knew how to treat it or knew how people were getting it. So maybe Thomas got syphilis and passed it to his sister. Again, assuming everything he said is true. Also, it's believed that syphilis came from cattle or sheep. So again, if we believe Thomas was involved in bestiality, maybe he got syphilis that way and then spread it to his sister and others. I only bring up syphilis because it is, if it's untreated, it can really affect your brain. It could cause depression, mania, psychosis, personality changes, delirium, or dementia. I'm just throwing theories out there. Again, no one knows what illness Thomas had. But if you look at other historical figures who have died of syphilis or who are thought to have died from the disease, they were all said to be, you know, some kind of mental illness by the time of their death. Again, we don't know. We don't even know if Thomas actually participated in any or all of these acts, but he is in fact dead and has been seen after his execution. So Thomas and Jean's home were left empty for years after their deaths because of paranormal activity, of course. Why else would you leave a gorgeous house in Westbow empty? People who lived in the neighborhood would often see lights turn on and off in the house. Odd noises were coming at odd hours of the day. The figure of a woman, some saying it looked like Jean, would wander in front of the house. And sometimes the figure would appear two times the height of the average woman. Which in theory sounds scary, but the height of an average woman is like 5'2". That's not that tall. I mean, it's abnormally tall for sure. I don't need anyone that tall lumbering toward me. Don't get me wrong. But it does remind me of the movie Smile, if you've seen it. At the end, there's this really tall woman. But she's like five times the height of an average woman. So I don't know. But people people saw a figure wandering about out front of the house, saying it looked like Jean. And they would hear maniacal laughing. Now, laughing coming from nowhere is creepy enough. But if witnesses are describing it as maniacal, no, ma'am. No. Maniacal. Children giggling is terrifying. Maniacal laughing. That sounds like you're going to get, that sounds like you're going to get killed. Maniacal. Awful. People had also seen a figure running with a torch outside the house. Or... 
the fiery coach that Thomas and Jean were set to ride in would fly by the house or people would hear like the click clocking of horses, uh, horses hooves, horses hooves. That's a tongue twister. The click clocking of horses hoofs. People would see the ghost of Thomas walking through the streets of Westbow with his staff, but his staff would be floating in front of him. And sometimes the staff would be seen out and about by itself, floating alone through the breeze, which honestly would be hilarious to see. Just a floating staff with satyr heads going about its business. Maybe it's running some errands. Maybe it needs a drink of water or to get its wood painted. Who knows? But that idea is silly. It's so funny. The Weir House stood empty, quote-unquote, so spirits roamed, playing music, turning lights on and off, like I said, peering out the windows. That is until 1780, which is 110 years later, when a retired soldier, William Patulo, and his wife, sorry, I don't have her name. They were sexist times. They purchased the house and they spent one night in the haunted house before fleeing after seeing a calf, yes, a baby cow, appear at the foot of their bed and stand on its hind legs and just stare at them. Now, I've talked to people who have had sleep paralysis. There have been people on this podcast who have had sleep paralysis, and they all say the same thing. They wake up, they can't move, and they see a figure out of the corner of their eye approach the bed, whether it be the side of the bed or the foot of the bed, or in Anastasia's case, the woman jumped on top of him and started strangling him. I don't, that's a whole different story. But a calf walking up, and standing on its legs and just staring at them. It's so silly. Again, yes, in the moment, I would probably be like, what the fuck is going on here? But written down and said out loud years later, hundreds of years later, it's so silly. But they didn't stay in the house. They fled that night and were like, hell no. Hell no. And no one lived in the house again after that. So they decided to tear it down. Or was it? Dun dun dun. But we, we'll we'll get back to that in a minute. The prison Thomas and Jean were held on was Canagate toll booth. Again, just like the old toll booth, this toll booth was a municipal building in Scotland, providing council meeting chambers, courthouse, and jail. Jail was on the ground floor. Edinburgh had multiple toll booths like I mentioned but this one was built in 1591 and it was outside the walls of Edinburgh at the time it is no longer a municipal building but the people's story museum in the main part and then next to that is the Tollbooth tavern a lovely pub so I hear 
The People's Story Museum houses a collection that tells the story of Edinburgh's working class from the 18th century to present day. So if that sounds interesting to you, head on over. Both the museum and tavern are said to be haunted. Nothing crazy, just your typical shadowy figures, children laughing and playing. In the tavern, a shadow figure is known to walk around and knock glasses off tables and pictures off walls, which is just annoying. There's also someone who continually paces upstairs near the clock tower. So if you want to go check those out, People's Story Museum and the Tollbooth Tavern, maybe one of them is Thomas Weir. Also, Canagate Tollbooth, I'm not going to cover it on this podcast, but it's kind of fun because a lot of people escaped that prison to the point where the prison guard was arrested for letting so many people, he didn't let them, but like for being on duty while so many people escaped. And then when he was arrested, some they hired somebody else, and then there were still plenty more escapes, and then he was also arrested. <laughs> it's such a funny like loop, but obviously it wasn't well constructed. Now the Weir House, for a very long time, had been thought to be torn down because no one wanted to buy it, because it was so haunted. But in fact, the Weir House was just incorporated with the house next to it. And today, it is known as the Quaker Meeting House. And as the name suggests, it is a meeting house for members of the Quakers in Edinburgh. The realization of the meeting house being the Weir House happened around 2014, so relatively recent. And when staff members were asked if the meeting house was haunted, they all said, or many of them said, that they had seen Thomas Weir roaming the halls. So I guess if you really want to see a glimpse of Major Thomas Weir, maybe become a Quaker and move to Edinburgh. And if you want to see his sister, Jean, maybe stand outside the meeting house. There aren't really tours of the Quaker meeting house, you know. So, I don't know. They also said, you know, there's a fiery coach that flies down West Bow. And you can hear horses click-clocking. And, you know, you can maybe see Thomas Weir wandering the streets West Bow at night with his floating staff. Who's to say? But check it out. Let me know. And thank you all for joining me this week. I truly appreciate the support, and I hope you're finding these stories as interesting as I am. One day, one day, I'll make it to Edinburgh and take some ghost tours. But if you have a paranormal experience, it doesn't have to be in Edinburgh, just anywhere. If you have one, please send it my way at hauntedhometownspodcast at gmail.com. I will share your story on the podcast. Leave your name. I'll shout you out. Or you could DM me on socials, Haunted Hometowns. It could be anything from your robe belt tripping you down the stairs, then tying your hands behind your back so you can't escape the haunted house you live in. 
to your video game characters turning on you and crawling out of your screen. Either way, let me know. And if you are interested in photos related to this episode, again, check out social media, Instagram, Twitter, Haunted Hometowns, or my personal page, B. Lambert Hack. You can find guest info there, upcoming news on there as well. And if you like what you heard, please send me a five-star rating. It really helps the podcast out, and I will love you forever. And I will meet you back here in a week, because everyone loves a ghost story. The music you heard is by Tyre. Follow him on Instagram at Queer Popstar or follow his music career on any music streaming platforms. That's T-H-A-I-R. The artwork is by Pepe Munoz. Follow him on social media at p.e.p.e.munoz, M-U-N-O-Z. Fantastic artist and stylist. I got my information from Wikipedia, Scotsman, Mysterious Britain, The Little House of Horrors, and Scott Clans. <laughs>